Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes I forget what those old hymns are like. Oh, you know, someone told me this morning, uh, maybe it was even Jerry, if you really want to teach your kids theology, just teach them them old hymns, you know, just sing to them. And, uh, you know, when, when I hear the hymns, it takes me back to really the first church you know, I, I felt established in, in, and I always hear my, my father-in-law sing, you know, he, he was an old hymn guy, you know, and, and just, it just brings back great memories, those old hymns, but, so it is a privilege, isn't it, you know, to be able to come together and sing like that, you know, because honestly, guys, it's not like we deserve even to do this, you know, it's, by grace, everything is. So we're so thankful. Well, anyway, I know Juan always does it, but if you're visiting here today, I, just from my heart, I welcome you. And right now, we're kind of in the middle of studying the life and the ministry of Jesus and doing our best to keep it in chronological order. So with all that being said, in your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. John 8. And as you're turning there... I just have one little announcement, and I'm talking to the parents. Um, you made them. You got to help us take care of them. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I say that uh, in jest, but um, we have a ministry down the hall. It's, it's the kids check-in. And people that just think, you know, we check our kids in. It's the way we can. And actually, it's part of our security system here. And uh, we're very, very uh, careful, and we're very sincere about it. And we need help right now. So um, if you're one that has a, a child down in nursery uh, or in, in Sunday school, and you can help us, uh, just go back and talk to Caroline or talk to Juan or talk to Jerry. Those three only, because it's, it's you know, you have to learn the computer things and all that kind of thing. And I don't want people to mislead anyone who can help us in that area it probably only would you would only volunteer maybe once a month it's not a real big commitment but this is our kids you know and um i i'm not even hesitant to say i need your help here when it comes to our children something we have to do keep our kids safe amen guys so see caroline down the end of the hall juan or jerry man and let's let's keep our babies safe All right, John chapter 8, if you'll just follow along, we're picking it up in verse 12. John 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Oh, thou bearest record of thyself, and your record's not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I come and whether I go. But you cannot tell whence I come or whether I go. You judge after the flesh, and I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For if I'm, for I am not alone. But I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two witness or two men is true. Well, I am one that bears witness of myself, and the Father that sent me bears witness of me. 
Then said they unto him, Where is your father? And Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury. As he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he said, Whether I go, you cannot come. He said unto them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I say therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? Jesus said unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. And I have many things to say and to judge of you. But he that sent me is true, and I speak to the, uh, to the world those things which I have heard of him. Well, they understood not that he spake to them of the Father. And then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And verse 30, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Let's stand again with Bible in hand and pray over our text today. Father, as we had said earlier, it's a privilege just to come and stand in your presence and lift our hands and the expression of thankfulness, God. We take this time, Lord, not for granted, but again, a privilege to come before you just to ask for your anointing upon our hearts and our minds. Again, Father, we realize that you're the one who ordained the holy men of old. You set them apart to actually pen the very word of God out. What we have in our hands this morning, Father, we consider it holy, something that's sacred to you. I know you've taken your word and you've even elevated above your own name. So again, Father, it's grace that we have the chance, the opportunity to look into the onto these pages and to ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us. You be our rabbi, as it were, Lord, you be our instructor, teacher. Please, Father, anoint this word. We love you with all our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said together, amen, amen. Thank you. In this passage uh, this morning, we see a warning. A warning not just to those that were listening to our Lord, but even a warning that's applicable today. And that is... You just don't want to die in your sin. Now, to establish the context, you know, he's he's been having this discussion with religious leaders, especially the Pharisees. We know the location. He is in Jerusalem. He is in the court of the women. Remember, as I had described to you last week, there were these courtyards, you know, um, there at the temple precinct. 
You had the outer court, which was the court of the Gentiles. You had the court of the women, also where the treasury was located. Court of the women, only Jewish women were allowed there. They couldn't go any further, and Jewish men. You would go a little further in, known as the court of Israel. Some have said it was called actually the court of men. And that's only the court of Jew, uh, of the, for the Jewish males to congregate. A little further past that, you would have then what they call the inner courtyard, and only the Levitical priests, the Levites, were allowed to go there for the service of the temple. Where Jesus is located? Right there at the court of the women. So we know that his audience is Jewish men and Jewish women. In that crowd, you have the Pharisees and the religious leaders as well. Um, it's in that area where he is um, in contact with this woman who was caught in adultery. Um, it was right after that where he began to be challenged by these Pharisees who, by the way, was the one who interrupted the Bible study there with Jesus. Now, we're not given a real clear picture of what took place that moment. We know it's earlier in, it's real early in the morning. In fact, it tells us that Jesus entered into the court of the women um, before uh, the uh, daylight. And it tells us that there was a crowd that gathered around Jesus. Now that, again, isn't something out of the norm. See, what would happen is the rabbis would go up into the temple precinct and he, they would go into certain courtyards. So if there was any followers of those particular rabbis, they would congregate around them. He would then take the position of a teacher and he would sit and the rest would just stand to listen. And that's exactly what's going on with Jesus. But these Pharisees caught this woman in the very act of adultery. And so what happens? They're dragging him or dragging this gal. And I believe they probably forcefully just threw her at his feet. And as they're there, they ask Jesus this question. And it goes something like this, that our law, the Mosaic law, requires that a woman who's caught in adultery ought to be stoned. What sayest thou, my old King James? And it tells us there that Jesus really doesn't respond at first. That he stoops down to the ground and he begins to... Now, I think he's doodling. I just think he's just doing something in the ground. And the reason I feel like that or think that is because it tells us they kept badgering him for an answer. What's your opinion, Jesus? So then Jesus stands up. And you gotta, you got to imagine, this is a tense moment. That crowd, they hear the commotion. I can't, assume, I can't imagine that this girl is going, okay, I'll go with you. So I think she's kicking and screaming a tad. And she, he, she's put down in front of him. I think it's a very tense, tense moment right there. Because, again, Jewish males and Jewish women, they know exactly this, these religious leaders, what their intent was. And so, the, again, the questioning to Jesus and the badgering. And so all of a sudden, he stands up and he goes, all right, guys. See, see, they thought they had him over the barrel. They think, well, Jesus has only two options here, which will indict him anyway, no matter what position he takes. If he takes where he says, okay, I have to support the Mosaic law, 
I'm going to tell you, stone her. They're going to turn around and turn him in to be uh, as being an insurrectionist. If he says to them, all right, you know, you're right. I haven't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. So I guess you got a stoner. All those that were following Jesus and his teaching would begin to start questioning him. Wait a minute. Where's turning the cheek? Where's blessing them that curse you? Where's this loving your enemy? Love your neighbor as yourself. Two greatest commandments. Love God. Love your neighbor. Now all of a sudden you're saying stone the girl. So he would lose his popularity. But that's exactly what the religious leaders wanted. They, they were threatened by, by uh, his popularity and how they were, they were losing that. They were threatened by, um, l- you know, l- losing money. Actually, remember, there was a monopoly up there. They were making money left and right off of them. And so, again, they just wanted to get rid of Jesus. But then it tells us that after Jesus said, you know, you that, have, you that, were, that are without sin, you cast the first stone. It tells us that he went back down to the ground. Some people miss that. And he begins to write now. Now, all of a sudden, it tells us that now they're convicted. Convicted. Now they're not even opening their mouth. So I think what Jesus, Jesus, they wanted to indict Jesus, breaking the law. But I think what he did is he indicted them. See, I believe what he wrote down, he wasn't writing down particular sins. I think what he did is he wrote down the whole Levitical law. Because in that law it says, if there is a man or a woman caught in adultery. He says, okay guys, you're bringing her here as religious leaders. You're indicting her. But you know, you're indicted because where's the man? You're saying she broke the law, but you're breaking the law. How can you possibly cast a stone at her and, 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 and not feel like a hypocrite? And it tells us from the oldest, from the oldest Pharisee to the youngest, they began to just drop their stones. I'm sorry, this is one of my favorite, favorite accounts in the Bible. All of a sudden, there's just, it's just, it just seems that there's only the audience of one. For her, Jesus was the only thing that mattered. For Jesus, she was the only thing that mattered. It was just an audience of one. And I love Jesus when he says to, to her, hey, Where's your accusers? Where are all those guys who wanted to stone you? I have none, Lord. Well, I don't accuse you either. You know, and, and it, but he doesn't, he doesn't end there. And, and by the way, just as a side note, I believe that from that moment on, she started to follow Jesus. Because I'll tell you what, if you were being drugged through a court, and you know that the end result is going to be your death, if you saw a moment to escape, would you not take it? Sure you would, if you're real. What happened was, as soon as these guys started to walk alone and she looked up, she saw a little window there. She could escape, but she doesn't. She stays. She doesn't slink away. And when Jesus asked her those glorious questions, hey, where, where are those guys? They're, they're gone. She stayed. But she says, I have none, Lord. Curios. What she said, maybe you and I, we don't really comprehend that, that term, Lord. But in a Jewish mind, I'll stop doing what I've been doing. I'm going to follow you. And then Jesus said, okay, you're right on. Sin no more. And so we come to this, 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 this text. As we, oh, and by the way, there, there's a, still a, a major group 
a large group around this whole, whole, I think it's stone quiet. What do you guys think, you know? I think it's very quiet. These are God seekers. These are people seeking God. That's why they were staying there. And then, but, you know, after, after reading this, I realized what a lesson to learn. But there's more to this. There's, there's such a glorious lesson here. Not a lesson just for those people that gathered around Jesus that particular morning. But I believe, I believe it's a lesson for you and I to learn. You know. Look at verse 12. Then, then spake Jesus again unto them. Speaking to the crowd. Saying, I am the light of the world. And he that follows me shall not walk in darkness. But shall have the light of life. The message here is that not a, he is a forgiving Savior, right? But he's also a loving Savior. What he expects from this woman now, because he, she stayed, because she's calling him Lord, now he's expecting her to live a holy life. Now, don't get me wrong. Holiness does not just mean you know, someone walking with a halo around them and they got certain robes on. Holiness means I'm living a separate life. For her, the challenge is, you are living that life. I've called you to something more glorious. I want you to stop that. And I believe with all my heart, she did. He forgives, he saves people. But not to continue to live in that same lifestyle. He expects, I am the light of the world. If you believe in me and you walk in the light, your life will be changed. See, the picture here, guys, light illuminates. Listen, Christian, because it isn't, ju- it isn't just applicable in our B.C. days. It even applies today. If we continue to recognize him to be the light of my life and I continue to follow him, I will no longer live in darkness. I'll live in light. So everything in my life can be illuminated. Even if it's a sin issue, light can be illuminated on it so I can just deal with it. If it's a calling upon my life and I continue to live in darkness, I'm going to miss that calling. I believe that with all my heart. For me to know the the forgiveness and to know the sanctification, the justification, to know the calling in my life, it's required of me to walk in the light. I, I, I hear people say, I'm just confused, Tyron. I just feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm just walking in darkness. You know, someone came to me not too long ago and said, you know, hey, Harry, what, what do you think God's will is for me, for my life? And, and, and I don't want to sound sarcastic and I don't want to sound kind of hard-hearted, but I want to say, how would I know? I'm still figuring out the God, God's will for my own life. But this I do realize. Now listen, Christian. If you keep that fellowship with Jesus, if you keep that walk with the Lord, you'll be walking in the light. And those things that you long for, you, de- you desire, the light starts to be illuminated. And you start to see, oh God, that's what you want for my life. When we deal with condemnation, we deal with fear, when we deal with all those different issues, if we keep walking in the darkness, we're going to continue to live in those different 
experience. No, 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 no. I think it's so important that you and I hear this lesson. What's he say? I'm the light of the world. He that follows me, if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. Ah, listen, right now in that group, we know that there's still the presence of Pharisees. Not just them, I am sure the scribes are there, and I am sure that that even the Sadducees were there. Maybe other rabbis were attracted to this, th- this whole commotion, you know. And now, now this, this group has grown. They're watching this event like everybody else. See, they're asking Jesus, you know, um, for, a, for a witness. Look what he says in verse 13. Oh, and by the way, too, just so I don't jump too, too ahead of myself. Jesus' declaration that he is the light of the world. Let me have your eyes again, guys. I see a reading. That's good. But listen, listen. His declaration of being the light of the world is a declaration to them that he's now calling himself the Messiah again. Because prophetically, that's exactly what God would call his son a light. That he would send a son to be the light where man and women, children, would realize that God has a plan, a plan of salvation. And so they know that he is making a statement that he is more than just a mere man that has good ideas. They understand, again, that he is bearing witness of himself, that he indeed is the light of the world, that not only is the light, if you walk in his light, then you're going to be able to not to walk in darkness. He's saying, hey, I can give you the authority and the power and the ability to live a holy life if you just walk in the light. And remember, a holy life is not a sinless life. No one's going to be sinless, not this side of heaven. Amen? But what the Bible does teach, what it does teach, the struggles that I had in 1973, in 1983, I wasn't struggling with them. And the struggles I had in 83 and 93, I'm not struggling with now because I've grown. As a Christian, we grow and we mature. And we begin, we're never going to reach that place where we're totally sinless. Because when you really think you're getting closer, he'll show you that you're, you're pretty, you're prideful. <laughs> but the Pharisees said to him, oh, you bear record of yourself there in verse 13. Your re- record is not true. You know, what they're saying is this, guys. That he does not have any witnesses, so how could they embrace his claims? They bring up the Mosaic law here, guys. This is the Mosaic law. Law of Moses said, man, if you're going to establish truth, and again, if I could just remind some of the Old Testament students here, that law it really dealt with an indictment. That 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 it it could actually call for capital punishment. God said, "Listen, if you're going to indict somebody, you better have two or three witnesses." Now, what they did, 
because it just seemed that this group, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they wanted to get their hands around every law and manipulate it for their own benefit. So what they did with the Mosaic law that says, if you're indicting somebody, you better have two or three rights. They're saying, no, 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 you you know what? Let's just use it for everything. So if someone would come and say, hell, you know, uh, my neighbor Johnny's ox, you know, just head-butted my other ox. And and they would say, well, was there two or three witnesses? Well, no, the thing's knocked out. Well, sorry, we can't do anything about it unless you have two or three witnesses. See, again, they took something that God had intended for good. See, that law was so that a neighbor wouldn't just go ahead and whack some other neighbor off, you know, or... No, you can't do that. You can't indict anyone. You, you can't bring up something like that um, unless you have um, uh, eyewitnesses. So, so what they're doing, they're indicting Jesus here. Where's your witnesses? And Jesus is going to address this. So look what Jesus says in verse 14. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. In other words, I don't need any witnesses. I know where I came and whether I go, but you. No, I'm saying, but I go, and you cannot tell once I come or whether I go. You judge, but you judge according to the flesh. And where he says, I judge no man, he says, when I do judge, I'm not judging by the flesh. He says, if, yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in, notice what he says there in verse 17. It is written in your law. He doesn't even say it's written in the law of Moses. He goes, this is something you have done. You have changed it. You have motivated this. This isn't what God had intended. And it's still applicable today, gang. You know, some of those dietary laws that the Israelites had to kind of adhere to, that was for their protection, and yet, over time, religious men and religious women have gravit- or got a hold of that. And they, again, had manipulated that whole thing. And they're saying, now, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to hold to a dietary law. Paul dealt with that in Romans and in also in Galatians. See, again, don't look at the Old Testament and say, well, I'm glad I'm in the New Testament. There is so much grace in the Old Testament. The reason he laid that out, the reason he would go in and say, you need to annihilate this whole race is because the whole race was so polluted. There was no chance of salvation for any of them. And it would only affect or infect the rest of the people. God's grace. But he says, it's also written in your law that the testimony of two men be true. Well, listen, he says. If that is the case, I am one to bear witness of myself and the father, also, the, the father who has also sent me. He bears witness of me. So let me try to tell you what he's trying to, to say. That he's saying like this. Look, even if I testify of, of, of myself, uh, my evidence is valid. And it is valid, especially to the New Testament person. Because there was more than just two witnesses, and we, we will get into that. And he's saying, but as for you, you are clueless. Like most of the world today, trying to figure out God, it really, it, they're clueless. But he does not judge according to human standards. He judges according to God's standards. God will judge. And that's going to happen. But where he says that my judgment is just, it is true. 
His judgment will be just. Just. Let me take just a kind of a, a, a kind of a bunny trail here for me. Just let me have your attention. There is going to come a time where God will judge. It is called the, the great judgment seat of Christ. There, as God reveals to them the multitude of opportunities they had for his salvation, their total rejection, he's going to say to them, you know, this is, this is your, your, the judgment upon you. What before they are cast into outer darkness, I can't even comprehend that. Thrown into a place where there's nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where the worm never dieth. Did you ever hear somebody say, well, if I go to hell, I'll just hang out with my buddies. I'll drink a, drink a few brewskis, you know, and we'll just make a big party of it. It's such a lie. People laugh about it, but people really think that. You see, you won't see anyone. It's complete blind. All you'll hear is weeping, you know. But before they're cast into that place, you know what the last declaration they will make? Just and true are your judgments. Even those that are being cast into eternity, never again having a chance. They will say he's just for doing this. That's what he means, like his judgments are just. But he does say there that in verse 18, if that's the case and if that's what you need, two witnesses to embrace my claim and my, my teaching, he goes, well, then I will testify and my father will testify of me as well. God himself. But they had more than that. If they really thought about it, not, they had more than just Jesus testifying about it, the Father in heaven testifying, but the very word of God itself would, would claim that Jesus Christ, God's son, would be divine, that he would be God. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you what? A sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. And so, well, okay, that sounds great on a Christmas card, but what does that really mean? Really what that means is that God is with us. So here we have God as a witness for his son's claim that God himself will call his son God. It tells us in Isaiah chapter 9, 6, Unto us a, a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, and the Mighty God. Again, as a witness for these people, knowing the Old Testament, you have your very word itself, where God, the creator of the universe, is calling his son, who will be born from a virgin, he will be God as well. Psalms 2, verse 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the inheritance, the heathen for thine inheritance, and the other most parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them with like the uh, pieces of potter's vessel. Be wise now, kings. Be wise instructors. You judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. 
God over and over and over said the one who will declare to be the son with signs and wonders. They should accept that as a witness. He is the son of God and at the same time he is God. Why is that important? And listen guys. There are some people who think God's like Mr. Potato Head. You just, just pull off the pieces, put them where you want, make Jesus the way you think. Jesus has to be God or there is no salvation. I can't, I can't say that with, 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 with such, I want to say with such conviction because if he was only a mere man that some religious groups want to, to insinuate, if he's just a mere man, then we are still caught in our sin. Every one of us. We will be like the same people that's in that group who will say, just and true are you, God. But see, we're not. We're not that. God has declared his own son to be God. His own son. It was born, it was in the scriptures, Jesus said to them one time, it was, it was directed to one of his disciples. And it says, show us the father. Hey, Phil, have I been with you this long and you don't know me yet? I, I just imagine that group of disciples just stopping dead in their tracks going, excuse me? Yeah, don't you know that I and the father, we are meno, we're one. And the word he uses meno there means Oneness, Like if you took something and put it into an envelope, you sealed it. We're one. I and the Father were one. Jesus was God. You see, he, he, another witness, the whole thing about the Passover lamb. They celebrated that thing religiously. Every year they would say, okay, we, we're, we got to take a lamb. Right? It's got to be your lamb. We've got to raise it for a year. We've got to protect it because it's got to be presented before the high priest as a perfect lamb. It can't have a spot. It can't have a blemish. You know, maybe little Johnny, you've got to watch it today. Make sure that thing doesn't break. You know, don't, nothing happens to it because when we give it to the high priest, it's going to be sacrificed. It's got to be a perfect lamb. You see, they were taught that all through their childhood, all through their adult life, that every Passover they're to present. Well, Jesus became our Passover lamb. He was perfect. Mere man could not be perfect. Only God can be perfect. And that's what made him God, the God man who took our sins upon himself. He can't just be Mr. Potato Head and make him any way we want. Well, how do we address then? Do we say... Dear God, dear Jesus, dear Holy Spirit. See, we're talking about the Trinity, aren't we? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we just, should I call, should I call him God? Should I call him Jesus? Yeah. They're all right. Look, listen. Jesus said they had enough witness, just like you and I. You know, you and I have had witnesses too, by the way. Eyeballs. You know, you know, as I was getting ready for this thing, I thought, well, Lord, what witnesses, what witness did I have? I really asked him that. Well, you know, what was my witness? I, I mean, I just had a brother who came home, told me about Jesus. No, no, no. And then he started to show me something. You know, because each and every one of us, we came to Jesus. Whatever we were going through, whatever problems or whatever, whatever you were doing, Jesus used those things as, as a witness for you to come to Jesus. Did you know that? For me, I thought, you know, I was a kid that was so, I was paralyzed with fear sometimes. 
I don't know what was wrong with me, but I, I feared everything. I feared if people liked me. I feared if people thought I wasn't tough enough. I, I, I feared, uh, you know, if I had a disease. I, I feared m- my dad. I feared living where I lived. Every, every, I had to act rough because I was afraid people would think I was a woman. Everything was based upon fear. And there were things that my brother would say to me as he was witnessing to me. And he would say something like, you know, perfect love casts out all fear. And I went, Really? And something in my heart resonated in me. I, that's true. That is so true. The perfect love would do that, you know. Hey, Harry, I know we have a rough time with that, but guess what? God can be our heavenly father. And for some reason, that witness just was so real to me. I went, really? So when that time came where the Holy Spirit just says, and all you have to do, Harry, now is embrace those signs, embrace those claims, embrace me. That's when I cried out and I was born again. You know, you did not just come to Jesus because you thought he was a good, just a nice, mere, moral, good teacher. You came to Jesus because you knew he could meet a need that you had. That's how much he loves you. He met Peter right where he was at. He met doubting Thomas. You know what, doubting, oh, I'm way off the chart now. Holy moly. Um, but I have to say this one. I'm not going to believe unless I can see with my own eyes, put my fingers through those holes, thrust my hand up into... I will not believe. And when Jesus appeared to him, he said, Yo, is that what it'll take? Sorry with me. Do it. Thrust your hand. The need that Thomas had, Jesus met. And what was the next thing that Thomas did? Like that woman who had a need? He fell down and said, My Lord and my God. It's just like you, just like me. And he still does it. To those that will walk in the light... Because he is in the light. And we have fellowship one with another. And his blood. Somebody finish it. Somebody finish it. Covers us, cleanses us, washes us, scrubby dubbed up, you know. And we can stand before him justified and sanctified and glorified. Which we're still working toward. Right, guys? Ah, God is good. There are signs that he gives us. You, read, you think about Acts chapter 2 where he would say, You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved by God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Sure he does that. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4, God also bearing them witness with signs and wonders and divers miracles. He actually adds another witness and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's not afraid to give us signs. Can you imagine trying to get somewhere where there's no road signs at all? Well, maybe today, you know, we got that phone with the little blue dot that can take his places, right? But before that, what did we depend on? Maps. Man, my wife was the queen of maps. Man, she could get me anywhere with a map. 
But if you didn't have a map, and then you're driving, weather's bad, and you don't see any signs, you start to think, did I get off the right road? Did I, did I get off the right road? Am I heading in the right direction? Oh, my goodness. If I, I remember one time I was trying to get a youth group somewhere, and I realized I was heading to Ohio, and I wanted to get back to Jersey. And when I finally saw that I was heading east and not west, I went, wow, man, that was a close one. Just thinking how people are thinking, you know, I hope I get to heaven. But you and I, we've had so many signs and so many wonders in our lives that we know we're on the right path, don't we? So many different miracles in our lives, one after another, just showing us. Sometimes he shows us just by meeting a need, doesn't he? Sometimes he, a sign is a conviction, a healing, a recovering from something. You know, and I'm on the right road. Just imagine being in a nation where there was no laws. It was complete lawlessness. See the thing, and I'll have to end, just like I did the first service. I didn't even get through half of what I wanted. But, but see, see, guys, just, you know, laws required. You and I follow laws. We do. We follow laws in our nation. Without them, they just would be anarchy. God has laws. He has a law for his kingdom. And one of those laws is you got to be born again. That's a law. That's a requirement. That's a decree. People don't, Christians don't like to think, oh, I'm not under the law. Well, we're not under man's law. We're under God's law. Remember the four spiritual laws? But we have to be born again. No if, and, but, or about it. And it's not hard. It's, it's just believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. It's a confession with the mouth. That he's our Lord, just like that woman, you know, it was caught in adultery. The first thing she called, Lord, you and I have to do that. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We have to make him our Lord. We can't just make him anything we want. You know, Jesus said, and he mentions it twice, I think verse 21 and verse 24, says it three times. If you don't believe in me, if you don't believe that I am he, then you'll die in your sins. You know, in your Bible, if you're reading that verse, you might see he in italics, which means that it is not in the original. The translators added that to help us understand what Jesus was trying to say. Sometimes they're very helpful and Sometimes it hurts, the passage. Now, this time it hurts it. For what Jesus was saying there, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. Jesus couldn't just have been a man. Jesus needed to be the I am. Exodus chapter 3, that dialogue between God and and Moses, right? Hey, okay, I get the burning bush thing, but who should I say sent me? And Jesus, or God said, just tell them I am, that I am sent you. 
when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden. We're looking for Jesus. And he goes, I am. And they, were, they all fell backwards. Jesus died for our sins. Fully human. Felt the pain. Medium nerve right here. Most painful place to injure. They threw nails through that. He became that worm. Toloth worm. He left a stain on the cross, but the church was birthed. Not because we thought he was a good moral man, but because he was God hanging on the cross for our sins. Would you stand with me, folks, today? I, you know, I, I only do this when I feel led. I, I honestly do. But um, I need you to bow your heads, every one of you. I don't want anyone looking around. And I just want you to think, that's all. I think it takes great courage to be like that gal not to run away and then to call him Lord. I guess you could say that was her sinner's prayer. All I'm going to ask you to do is just listen to your heart. The signs that God has given you, the, some of the wanders stopped you dead in your tracks and you knew there had to be something greater. But you've never really called him Lord. You've kind of been running your own life. Well, just by the raising of your hand, that's all. Is there anyone here today that just wanted, just like that woman, call him Lord today? Would you raise your hand? Anyone else? All right, I just, I want you to pray with me if you raised your hand. No, 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 wait a minute. Is there somebody else? Somebody else needs to raise their hand. Okay. Okay. I just want you to repeat after me. Lord Jesus. And just say it again, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for not condemning me. Come into my life, into my heart. I confess and make you Lord. I believe you're alive. You rose from the dead. And I embrace you. I embrace your church and I embrace your forgiveness. Thank you for saving me and giving me life. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.